Hey, welcome to the Sanctuary Church podcast. Sanctuary Church is a family following the path of Jesus together in Providence, Rhode Island. If you'd like to learn more about our community, you can visit our website at sanctuaryri.org or check us out on social media. Thanks for stopping by, and we hope you are encouraged by today's teaching. Um, great to see you all. Um, one quick uh, adjustment to the announcements. This is, uh, we gave you the wrong date, Sarah. It's not your fault. Uh, the men's gathering is April 11th, not April 12th. So April 11th, which is Tuesday. Uh, just a heads up on that, the men's gathering, just to make sure you save the date on that. Uh, would you all stand for the reading of the word? Hebrews 12, therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles, and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. And then verse 14, make every effort to live in peace with everyone and to be holy. Without holiness, no one will see the Lord. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Without holiness, no one can see God. That is my message today. That is the beginning and the end of it. It's not great homiletics to outline it like this. You want to kind of lead everybody to a conclusion and then, you know, hook. But Greg last week spoke um, in this series that we are doing called The One That We Long For. And he spoke about God the Father who is holy. Just to give you a bit of a map of where we've been and where we're going. We're spending all of this season of Lent on God the Father. And we're learning what it is to just simply behold God, to look at God. And what, when we get a clear picture of what God the Father is like and his like central attributes, how does this affect how we live? How does this move us into greater joy and love and grace and peace? And what sort of cultural challenge does it bring? So we talked about God the Father who is the creator. We talked about God the Father who is holy. And after Easter, from Easter through Pentecost, this, the next like six weeks or so of this, the of this season, we're going to look at God the Son, Jesus, the Son that we long for. And then after Pentecost, leading right up till summer, we're going to look at God the Holy Spirit. And the move Every message is meant to like, how do I like, behold Lord more? How do I begin to experience, know, dwell in, know him, not just in my mind, but in my emotions? Too often we can fall into the trap of sort of a constant um, looking down at our sin, which is important, or looking down at the brokenness or injustice of the world, and we want to ask, how do we fix this? How do we join God in the renewal of all things? How do we make things better and more right and more beautiful? 
And what can happen is, accidentally, we don't get our eyes up. We don't fix our eyes on Jesus, like Hebrews 12 says. This is the passage over the last couple weeks in our prayer rooms we've just been praying out of again and again and again and sort of mining. And so this week, my task was not to speak on God the Father who is holy, because Greg did that last week. But I could not get away from this verse. It just kept coming up again and again and again. We're talking so much about wanting to see God. This past Wednesday, when 500 people were crammed in here from churches from around our city, praying and reaching out to God, there were pastors and elders literally texting me, I have not seen, felt, experienced God like that in forever. One of the greatest nights I've had. No, I'm not pretending that was everybody's experience, but the reality is, is there's always more. There's always a deepening of our faith. People who've been walking faithfully with the Lord for a long time realized there were things that were crowding their vision and that as we were beginning to pray and seek after God, God was turning our affections towards him and helping us experience him more and more. And so as I kept coming back to this passage, man, if you're not, if you're not moving into holiness, seeking holiness, the word there is striving, essentially. Striving after holiness. Striving after the purity and beauty of God. If you missed Greg's message last week, it was masterful. Make sure you get a chance to listen to that on the podcast, describing what we mean by holy. You're not going to see God. And I don't know about you, but so much of Wednesday night, so much of prayer rooms, so much of what has been happening in our church over the last three years, four years, five years, has just about been about a deepening desire to see God. Would anyone else like to see God? Be prepared to see God when the day that he comes. Be able to walk in that heaven in some way even now. Be able to experience more of him now. Anybody? Anybody feel like that might be like the greatest desire of a person's heart in life? Anyone wonder why holy is the attribute that comes up even more than God is love? God is holy gets slammed again and again and again. And the invitation for God's people to be holy like he is holy comes up again and again and again and again. That repetition, might that like, like engage our curiosity? Lord, what is it about being holy, holier? moving deeper and deeper into beholding just how set apart you are that I might be set apart like you are. It's, it's, you're not able to see God. I want to see God. And it is fascinating, friends. I look back at my own life. I don't put this on anyone else, though I've walked with many of you and could I confidently speak for you. <laughs> A lot of you are like, where's God? And nothing in your life in any way is remotely obedient to the things of God. Where's God? But your entire entertainment world is just filled and flooded with everything and anything but something that is remotely holy. I just, you're not gonna see him in the same way. God's gracious and merciful and he'll do what he can do. He runs up the road to the prodigal. There's so much grace and he loves you right where you're at. But as that famous phrase goes, God loves you right where, he at, right where you are at, but loves you way too much to let you stay there. Because it's not a modern Western version of love. It's volitional. God loves you and love wants the best for the person. And so often we have a warped view of what's good and bad. 
and we want to follow our heart, but we know the heart is so evil and deceitful. We know this not just from like Christian tradition, we know this from just reading, from every movement that's ever tried to make a utopia out of this world. Our current cultural moment, which is easily the most jacked up cultural moment we've had in a long time statistically, the myth of progress, right? We know that is completely bunk at this point. And so we just, we, we as a church, as a little outpost here in Providence, Rhode Island, we want to stir hunger up in one another to go like, I want to know the beauty and love and generosity of God that much more. And so I thank God for his grace and out of that great grace and love that he has poured out on me and out on you. You can do nothing to earn that love. You actually want to walk in greater freedom of that love. I told this story so many times, and I just wish I had a better one, and I don't. Sorry. As I love to goofily say, I only have one life, and you guys get to hear about pieces of it too much. But my good friends who adopted these two kids, I don't remember this story, and it was this unbelievably strange moment Whereas they adopted these two older kids, one was 14 and one was 16, they realized all this food that had disappeared from the pantry. Like slowly, little like bread and granola bars and things were starting to like miss, chip, bags of chips. These two kids that were adopted out of an absolutely, like absolute mess of a situation. What they didn't appreciate is just how much these cycles, these patterns of insecurity about where food would come from had like pushed themselves into their heads. That even though they found themselves adopted, Officially now, my friends, like last name, a, a strong roof over their head, a cupboard stocked full of food. Naturally, if I were in my friend's situation, I would have thought too, you guys know there's going to be plenty of food. But they were stockpiling. And so one day, the husband in the situation who had adopted these two looks under the bed of the 14-year-old girl and sees chips and bread and granola bars and fruit. And it's like, what is going on? And so they had to sit down. And they didn't just have to sit down once. They had to sit down again and again and again and again and remind them, as long as you are here in this house, you now, I'll just give them the last name Smith for now, but this last name Smith, you are always going to have shelter and you're always going to have food and this space is always going to be safe for you. You see, there was something that was pronounced over them when that hammer came down, you're a Smith. You are loved, right? As far as you can guarantee like earthly love. Like they were now in a solid family. They had gone from absolute mess of a life to something so beautiful and safe and secure. But what did they have a hard time doing as they now were in this house? As the gavel came down from the judge and said, you're officially a Smith. You're officially loved and known and cared for. And you're officially like taken care of and you're gonna have food in your belly. What was difficult for those two kids? Believing it. Living up to what they had already attained. Coming in line with how things were now. This is what I want to talk about 
a sort of other dimension to holiness. Coming in line with how things actually are. Because Jesus, um, we read about in Colossians, for instance, Paul says to the church in, in, um, in Colossae, you were alienated from God, and now you've been brought near, reconciled, new family, adopted, literally that adoption language. I think that's probably why I go back to that story all the time. This is who we are. If anyone has ever like up and gone somewhere to find themselves, people tend to do this with California, and I don't know why. It's my understanding that people usually go to California, they don't find themselves, they lose themselves more, but I digress. No offense to California, just LA is the worst. Just kidding. Kidding, kidding. Just strong with providence. Okay, the, 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 the idea that I need to go find myself, like it shows what sociologists talk about and therapists talk about constantly, an inner alienation that we have. An alienation that we have from even our own self. A loneliness, a disconnect. There's so, I need to actually go find myself. And the scriptures, the Christian story, it's so interesting. Sometimes secular sociologists and secular therapists, when they begin to comment on this, on the Judeo-Christian story and how religion is actually so helpful for people to actually reconnect what feels disconnected, which is this deep alienation. And so this is what we experience. If you're here and a follower of Jesus, you're no longer alienated from God. Congratulations. You're adopted. You're made holy. And this is where it could get confusing for those of you new to, to all of this. You are stamped holy. You're now a smith. You're now a child of God. That's who you are. But you can completely move away from that and not live into that reality at all. You cannot experience the riches and promises of that reality. You can believe some stuff truly in your head. You can even like, with all your bones, I believe this to be true, but to not step into this. It's the famous text where Jesus is talking to his disciples. And he says, if you adhere to my teachings, if you do what I say, you'll know the truth and the truth will set you free. It's not, I believe that Jesus is the Son of God. I show up to church like when I can. Nothing really else in my life genuinely reflects this. I teach my kids some Bible lessons or whatever. Or like, I like, you know, have some big, vague spirituality attached. And I will know the truth and the truth will set you free. Like, no, no, no. As you begin to walk this out. Again, just in case anyone is like, man, I came in not wanting to get like in any way beat up or roughed up this morning. You are loved right where you are. God's grace is there for you to take hold of and to simply trust that he has forgiven you of your sins and he loves you, but there's so much more. He wants you to be able to see him, to walk in his way. Those two kids, those two kids, they're going to be taken care of for the most part, but they can begin to take hold of the riches that it is to be my friend's kids, or they can rebel and resist at all costs because they have that old person, as Paul says, continuing to kick around in them. And so a passage that comes up in the Old Testament and the New and that is reinforced in about 18 different ways is this passage in 1 Peter. Be holy as I am holy. Will you say this? Be holy as I am holy. Be holy as I am holy. 
few basic observations about God that I think might help us get at this idea of coming in line with how things are. To seek holiness, to desire to be that much more pure and like aligned with God is to actually tap into how things are. Deuteronomy 6.4 says, The Lord our God, the Lord is one. The Lord is one, the Lord is whole, the Lord is pure, the Lord is not split. 1 John 4, 7 says, God is love. God is love. Genesis 1, in the beginning, God created. We read about God being a creator. When the scriptures talk about God, they're talking about um, a way of understanding reality. I want to read a long quote to you, if you can hang with me here. Traditional Christian theology has been based upon the proofs of the existence of God. The proposition behind it is that there is an entity or being out there whose existence is problematic and has to be demonstrated. Now, such an entity, even if it could be proved and beyond dispute, would not be God. It would merely be a further piece of existence that might conceivably not have been there. Or a demonstration would not have been required. Rather, we must start the other way around. God is, by definition, hear this, ultimate reality. One cannot argue with ultimate reality exists, whether it exists. One can only ask what ultimate reality is. Nowhere in the Bible is anyone arguing about whether God exists. They're not trying to prove that God exists. It's an assumption. It's an assumption. Of course, reality exists. This was the framework. Of course, there is reality. The writers are simply making observations about God about ultimate reality, about what's at the center of the world, about how the world actually works. And so when one of the writers in scriptures says God is love, he's talking about ultimate reality being one and being loving. It's not disconnected. To have any kind of coherent worldview around human rights, any coherent worldview about meaning, there has to be some sort of transcendent belief and understanding about reality. John 1, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning, and through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made, and him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. This passage says Jesus is how God made things. How he made things. He spoke it into existence. And then Jesus comes, we read in flesh and blood, 1 Colossians 1.15. The Son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation, for in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible. It goes on, he's before all things, and in him all things hold together, this like poetic piece. We read that God made the world with this beauty and logic and design, and order, and truth. And apparently that is manifest fully in the person of Jesus. And it's not just how he made the world, it's like how all things hold together. If you're starting to glaze over because you're new to all this, like I get it. It's like way up here. But the big idea here, right, almost finds itself in John 3, 16. I'm the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father, if you would indulge me for a minute. No one comes to ultimate reality except through me. No one gets how this thing goes 
and God's intentions without Jesus. So a few basic observations. Jesus goes around loving people exactly as they are. Lepers and prostitutes and political figures and folks that are like as far away from the heart of God. And then starts saying, I'm showing you what God is like. This is what God is like. This is what God is like. This is what ultimate reality is like. You could say it like this. Jesus is the ultimate disclosure of how things really are. Jesus shows us the perfect image of the Father. Jesus, in some way, is like showing us what reality is like at its most raw. Jesus exposes us to the deepest levels of our existence. I hope at least all the philosophy majors are geeking out a little. He's calling people to how things are. He says things like, whoever hates me hates my father as well. Right? So whoever loves me loves my father as well. What's he saying? Well, if you hate forgiveness and if you refuse to forgive, if you hold on too tightly to bitterness, if you want to be the judge, then you're just not how God is. That's cool. Right? God's a God of invitation. Please don't hear some weird fire and brimstone thing from me right now. It's like, this is not how things are. And so you're going to feel like in a season of deep unforgiveness and bitterness and angry and malice and rage, you're going to have a hard time seeing God. Does this make sense? This isn't about earning anything. You get this? Tell me you're with me. Lie to me. Because I'm going somewhere. I don't want to be out of sync with how things are. If you hate, if you have a hard time with giving someone unmerited favor, favor they don't deserve, grace is what it's called in the scriptures. If something within you feels like that has to, you have to earn love. You have a hard time believing that God loves you, maybe. Maybe it's not everyone else. You're going to have a hard time seeing God, experiencing God. If you have a hard time loving your enemies, hard time taking small steps of love towards those that are hard to love, like, no stress. You're just out of sync with reality, with the truest form of reality, with how God is. Jesus, it's almost like he's saying, I'm simply exposing you to how things are. In John 17, 20, Jesus is praying. My prayer is not for them alone. He's talking about his disciples. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message, that all of them may be one. So when you're not one, you're not connected with others. It's interesting, right, in this Hebrews passage, and we don't have time to get into this, but how holiness and unity are tied together there. Holiness and unity are bound up in one another. When you're, when you're not one with others, when you're not moving towards union and reconciliation, it's going to be tough to see and experience and know the God who's one and who literally prays for us that we would be one. And so when we gossip or when we're divisive or when we tear each other down, again, we're out of sync with God. When we shred each other and demean each other, we're out of sync with how things are. So when we get to 1 Peter 1.15 again, and we read, but just as he 
who called you is holy. So be holy in all you do. For it is written, be holy because I am holy. To recap, this idea of holy is being whole or pure, uncorrupted, no darkness, all light. The command isn't be holy because it's the right thing to do. This sounds subtle, but I need you to catch this. It isn't be holy because I've got some rules for you to follow. It's be holy, why? Because I'm holy. Because this is how things are. Any desire for freedom, life, love, beauty, and reconciliation, line up. Start to line yourself up with who I said you already are. You still following me? Live up to what you've already attained. What have you attained? Adoption. If you're here and you're a follower of Jesus, you're loved. Holy. I've stamped you holy. Let's live into this together. It's a struggle. Paul talks about, like, I do what I don't want to do, and I don't want to do what I do want to do, and he just goes back and forth in this, like, circle. It's almost like he's having, like, a serious cathartic moment. You know, you know this passage? Paul writes half the Bible. is like, I just, there's stuff I want to do, and I don't want to do it, and it's really hard. Paul talks about, like, get all that other stuff off you. Clothe yourself. He uses holiness language. Clothe yourself with beauty and with truth and with goodness. Be aware of the impurity that's coming in. Line yourself up with how things are at their deepest level of existence. Because there is a song written on your heart, it says in the scriptures. A new covenant that is written on your heart. And I love the idea of a song because it's like we're learning to play it. We're learning to play it. We're learning to trust it. And so if you've ever played like with a band, if you've ever like played even like, you know, how many of you um, have kids and you're starting to enter like uh, orchestra season, band season, anyone get your kids trying to play violin? It's the, it's the worst. It's the absolute, like a young violin. Oh, it's just, it's so hard to like, I, adults have a hard enough time keeping in tune with the violin. But when you start to play with others, when you play by yourself, other than maybe the violin, you can just sort of assume you're playing okay. It's when you start to get around others, especially a musician who is good and is playing in key and is playing in time, you start to realize just how out of time and just how out of tune you actually are. Anyone experienced this before? If not, just like go with me with the metaphor. There's a song. There's a song and we get to join in. There's a way things are meant to be. And as we do this, as we sing in tune and play in tune to the adoption story one more time, as we learn to trust more and more, I don't care if you're brand new to the faith or been walking with the Lord for 40 years. It is a journey of trusting that much more that he's got you, that he's got you, that he loves you, that he's for you. And that he wants to show you the path ahead and how to walk it. And it might take spending some time with him. And in the scriptures, it's ruthless about, it might mean that you've got to knock some stuff out of your life and world because it's clouding everything around you. It's like polluting the water. You need to get rid of these other sounds 
I didn't think this through with the music metaphor. <laughs> strive is the language. Not strive after our salvation, but strive. Go after it. Want it more than you want anything else. You want to be in step with the God of the universe because he loves you because he's holy and he's so good and he's so beautiful. And so I don't know if you've noticed this season, but there's been a lot of like overlap with these messages. <laughs> Feels like we just keep coming back to this like ruthless desire for more of him helping us see just how valuable and beautiful God is because the value of the possession gets seen in how intensely you are going after it. You want that job, you're gonna go after it. Want God more. You want security, like financial security? Awesome, wonderful, provide for your family. But if your passion isn't for discipling your kids more than that, you're doing it wrong. I say that because I love you and because God loves me. Because remember, love is about wanting the good for the other. Not making you just feel okay and accepted. It's wanting what's good for you. And so our quest as followers of Jesus is to know good from bad. To submit ourselves to him and say, God, what does good look like here? So maybe I gotta learn a bit more about this. Maybe I gotta spend a bit more time with you. Maybe my escape can't always be the computer screen or whatever it is. Be holy as I am holy. Not be holy because like, welcome to religion and we've got some rules for you. Be holy because this is how things are. This is how the song goes. Anyone else want to play the song? I want to play the song. I say what I'm about to say only because certain people get really twisted with this church stuff because I'm up on a platform with a microphone. I always try to dress down for the occasion, much to my mom's chagrin, but... I'm working on this, guys, too. Always. Actually, it's been a real hard season in the last couple of years of really, like, God going, I'm going to just highlight some serious ways you are out of tune with the song, and it's clouding your vision and judgment, my friend. And as followers of Jesus, we, I hope that our, if we're trusting our adoption and our birthright, shame will not be the thing that comes up as we're feeling challenged. You might feel a bit guilt, but never shame. There's no condemnation in Christ Jesus. It's almost like you can get excited about recognizing just how out of tune you are with the song and how God wants to bring you back into alignment. Make every effort to live in peace with everyone and to be holy without holy no one sees God no one sees God Philippians 4 8 finally brothers and sisters whatever is true whatever is noble whatever is right whatever is pure whatever is lovely whatever is admirable if anything is excellent or praiseworthy think about those things think about those things In a moment, we're going to invite you to just like allow the spirit to like sift like your schedule, like scan your schedule. Is there anything that will corrupt your thinking if you give attention to it in your life right now? 
It's funny, um, neuroscientists have been talking a lot about how your first thought and your last thought in the day are the things that really shape a lot of like your, your, um, your uh, whatever's going on in your brain. I can't remember the name of the phrase. Um, I just read something about this the other day. And it's so funny. Some of us, we, we like end our day with like quasi-pornographic, dramatic, like t- television series. And then we wake up and the first thing we got is like our Instagram feed or our news feed. If there's truth to what the neuroscientists are saying, this is going to jack us up. This is why part of our communal rule of life is like putting your phone down before bed and not having your phone be the first thing you reach for in the morning. Let it be scripture. Let your day be shaped by the word of God and by prayer and by a bit of self-reflection and gratitude. I mean, if it takes like pop new age psychologists who say it's best to begin your day with gratitude and you'll be happier. If you didn't want to trust like the last however many years you've been a Christian that's been saying that forever, like go with them. But whatever it takes, like begin your day that way. How might that shape you? Whatever, sisters and brothers, whatever's true and noble, whatever's pure, pure is a word like that directly overlaps with holiness, purity. What is going to corrupt your attention? Maybe it's not even a bad thing implicitly, but it's going to distract and move you away from what it is to hear the song, to be in line with how things are ultimately to see God. What if we were ruthless about the ish that matters most? What if we could become more ruthless, more passionate, allow God to spur us on more? Did you do that on purpose, Adam? (laughs) He's played a wrong note, made me laugh. (laughs) I thought that was on purpose. No. (laughs) So let me close here. With the words of Jesus. This one's, this one's a, a, a doozy, I guess. Maybe it brings it all into focus, I hope. Jesus, the one that most of us in this room are saying we want to apprentice our life after. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. And so a way that we move into holiness. Like, how do we do this? Is we consecrate ourselves. And the idea here is simply to set apart for something. I'm going to set something apart. The idea is sort of like a blocking a lane of traffic. And 2 Timothy 2 is my favorite passage to articulate this. Hear this. In a large house, there are articles, not only of gold and silver, but also of wood and clay. Some are for special purposes and some are common use. Those who cleanse themselves from the latter will be instruments for special purposes, made holy, useful to the master, and prepared to do any work. Those who make space, who make room for more of the Lord will find themselves made holy and useful. Anyone want to be useful to God? I'd like to be a bit more useful to God this week. Consecration is not always saying no to good things because they're bad. It's saying no to good things because there are better things. 
better things that you're hungry for. This week that I spend more time watching whatever than I did with Jesus, that I escape in these ways, am I still holding so fast to forgiveness and resentment and bitterness? Am I so preoccupied with my vision of how this was all supposed to go? I haven't surrendered to the Lord much of this at all. And then I'm wondering why I'm not seeing him, knowing him, feeling him. I want to be set apart for you, your use. Zero legalism. There are just some sweet goodies from God. There's some sweet stuff that God wants to give you, but then there's God himself. Then there's just being with God and walking with God. As the scriptures say, being in prayer constantly which just means like being awake and aware, the kind of person who is alive to love. And so friends, it takes very little, very passive like amounts of effort to pollute a water supply. And it takes a, bit, a minute to clean it up. It takes nothing. So remember the first time I saw images that I wasn't supposed to see as a teenage boy. They're still actually in there. A few years of just like bad like entertainment or a few years of like just practicing gossip and bitterness and letting those things in. Just a little bit of time. They, they, it, they get in there so fast, just like polluting some water, polluting the ocean. It takes a lot longer to clean it out. So have grace for yourself because God has grace for you. But begin the work. And the first thing, the first move is to stop polluting the water. Stop polluting the water. Stop polluting the water. That's the first move. Be holy. Be holy as I am holy. Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, would you, Lord, would you sift us? Are there any things, Lord, that are just polluting the water? Any things that are distracting us from playing in tune with the song? Spirit, would you just bring these things to mind?